Hello and welcome to another episode of Startups, Sparks and Serendipity. We are very happy today since it's the very first live episode that we're recording where Max and I are sitting in the same room. How are you doing, Max? Very well. How are you doing? I'm very excited to see you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a different feeling. I mean, we, we, it seems, uh, I mean, we both are big fans of, of Tim Ferriss and Kevin Rose, but I think mm -hmm. we don't have any wines here, but I think we have a bottle of water. You have some notes. Yeah, we, we will be hydrated. Right. That's, that's for sure, at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start. Let's start the first in-person episode off with <laughs> rather bad news, actually. Uh, some of you will probably have seen it already, especially once uh, the episode is live, that Wirecard, one of the biggest financial technology companies or the biggest financial technology companies in Europe, at least uh, <laughs> a couple of days ago, <laughs> uh, had a lot of problems. And to give you some context for those who don't know, Wirecard has been a trading, so it's a public company. They are building online payment technology, some other technologies in the fintech space, and have been one of the technology companies that has been heralded as one of the companies born in Europe that could build technology that was basically, yeah, really well liked. But in the last couple of years, there were already some allegations of fraud, balance sheet fraud, or like earnings related fraud. And it was a very interesting dynamic because most of the allegations came from outside of Germany. Uh, Financial Times in London specifically attacked Wirecard a couple of times. And there were very weird fronts where Germany, not Germany itself as a state, but many people in Germany were defending Wirecard and saying it's basically some external country or some foreign investors that wanted to influence how, how Wirecard is trading, etc. And then this week, Wirecard was supposed to share their, uh, basically their annual financials. And their auditor, EY, one of the big auditors, said they, they couldn't do it because they didn't get the, the right... <laughs> They didn't get the right um, invoices and everything else. So they couldn't basically say that the money that they claim to have is the money that they actually have. And since then, a lot has happened. Wirecard has uh, basically said that probably they think that someone has frauded them. Then also the, the CEO has stepped down and the stock of Wirecard has lost more than 70% in two days. And yeah, Crazy. it's a shit show. And it, I think one of their one of their like board members left, as far as I understood, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's also the CEO. I'm not 100 sure, but yeah, the, the guy who's been leading the company for for a long time. And then also, I think we actually have mentioned that uh, two two other very interesting things in the story is two billion dollars are missing. So no one knows where the two billion dollars are. I mean, some people probably do, but at least no one in the public knows where they are. And apparently. People who have been managing the bank accounts for Wirecard are like, no, no one can find them. Uh, it's a bit unclear right now. And yeah, EY could not raise $1.9 billion that was supposed to be held in escrow accounts at two Asian banks and no one can find them. And, and I think even there was one company as far as I can mm -hmm. also read in the news that a Philippine bank was actually mentioning that mm -hmm. Wirecard was a customer of them. So there is some weird relation happening to random banks outside of Europe at least which of course since they're part of the German 
I think uh, association for for specific banks that's also something that that probably is quite unusual for those kind of issues. Yeah, I I, I quote a couple of things from from a Financial Times uh, article now. So basically. Um, Mr. Brown, that's the ex-chairman uh, and or CEO, we're not quite sure, but the guy who led the company, basically, who owns, I think, still 7% of Wirecard, said, it is unclear why the Asian banks said that the bank confirmations provided to EY were spurious, so he doesn't know. And then the guy who's leading the, uh, the uh, one of the banks in the Philippines said, it appears that a rogue employee generated the false confirmation with no money flowing in or flowing out. Our name is being used. We don't know these people. We don't know what's going on. We don't even know how they got to use our name. These accounts do not exist. That's it. And if you are a shareholder, uh, yeah, that's, that sounds really bad. And I think it actually will have a fairly bad influence on Europe and Germany as... Like as a as a place where like on the one hand where outside investors like foreign investors will invest money just because this company was regulated by the Bafin, mm-hmm. they were a publicly traded company and were like had a lot of licenses. So basically, like you can't be more regulated than like a fintech company regulated by the Bafin, and still this happened. So that will be bad. And then also, I think it will be bad for consumers actually investing because Mm -hmm. one one problem germany has is that still way too few people are investing in stocks and i think stories like this won't necessarily help that and yeah so basically really interesting story i think we'll actually this will be our gossip we will brief you on that during the next couple of weeks (laughs) we'll we'll tell you what's happening and there's there's so many interesting storylines in there and i'm very interested to see how how it develops agree i mean also taking one step further, I mean, as far as I can understand, there are several thousand employees, of course, that were part of of, of the ecosystem. And mm. I I guess lots of them did not have any clue that this was happening. No, not at all. Why would they? I mean, that's I think that's another stage, right, where you can say actually there are people that were looking for for interesting startup jobs in, in the ecosystem of, of fintech. And they've just been kind of left alone on the pathway because they're probably not probably going to fire some people. There's going to be lots of reorganization happening. Yeah, it's also really bad for your brand, right? Yeah, if you worked at Wirecard now. Absolutely. Right. I mean, for the personal brand, I think you can still probably sell it in a way that you didn't know anything about it. Okay, but, yeah. Um, but it's not what you want, at least. Yeah, agree, agree, agree. Um, and, and I think it's, it's for, for the ecosystem in Europe, and sometimes, and as I think in the first episode, we mentioned that we also kind of reflect on the European ecosystem versus the US ecosystem and how, how kind of that correlates to each other. Um, and I think this is definitely going to be a setback um, for at least a certain amount of time. I think sooner or later, this will be forgotten and things will just move on. Yeah. But I think for, for a couple of months, this will be the topic number one and the attention will be more on this topic than potentially on uprising startups that raise some money that acquire more customers, um, I think these kind of topics will be forgotten easily uh, because of, of, of bigger topics like this one. Yeah, I think especially in the financial markets that will yeah. probably dominate the conversation in Europe for some time. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I mean, Enron happened in the US quite a while ago and they recovered. Mm-hmm. But I'm very worried about what it will mean for regulation. especially for fintechs because Wirecard was I mean they weren't a startup anymore right they were like public traded company like really large 
but they were basically one of the poster childs of hey we can actually do this mm. like new technology so and yeah actually and then one one last thing is i mean mm -hmm. as far as i can understand is they actually provided the payment processing for back then at least for customers like Revolut or N26. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had direct kind of um, they had they had they had customers that were part of the startup ecosystem in Germany and in mm -hmm. Europe. Like Revolut being in London, I think. So I think there is kind of the the intersection that even though Wirecard is is a company that is publicly um, that is publicly also more or less and is is part of their own ecosystem, it still has a direct impact on non-public companies like N26. Definitely, yeah. It's it's definitely bad for the European fintech system as a whole, uh, which makes me happy that I'm doing business in the US. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, in fintech, right? I mean, in fintech, yeah. Did you see any kind of impact on, on the fintech industry since you probably have a, a larger network in the fintech specifically where people were impacted already? Or? I mean, I talked to a couple of folks in the US, both like some, some investors that we were talking to and then also some, some other startups. Like most, most important takeaways, most of these people don't even know that this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know Americans, right? They uh, they like they like to stay uh, true to their own stuff internally to some degree. No, I mean some people have have, have definitely heard of it. It's it's worldwide news, but it's not necessarily they, they don't care that much. I think it's really a bigger story in Europe, and I think it won't affect fintech as a whole. Mm -hmm. I think it will. It could actually be bad for fintech in Europe just because Wirecard provided a lot of infrastructure. Let's see sure. let's see where that where that ends up and. Who will take the place or like maybe they recover to some degree right mm. but i honestly i think i and many other people can't judge right now just because there's so much chaos too too many news at the same time yeah i agree i agree maybe to and that was i think we should definitely keep that in mind for future episodes kind of give an update on what's happening and how how it potentially impacts the industry. Yeah, we, we'll switch our podcast to a true crime podcast. <laughs> Business crime. The true, true storytellers are going to come across. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, th I think maybe going one step further, um, and I think it kind of, it's, it's a hard shift, but I think it's something that since we're met in person or meet in person, uh, it's an interesting topic to talk about. Naval Ravikant. Um, MVP. Yeah, which probably, I mean, yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, everybody that doesn't know him, uh, maybe you can even better summarize him. I mean, he's he's one of the most, I think he's one of the most successful angel investors in the US, if not globally. Um, mm -hmm. He was one of the founders of Angel.co. Uh, he's done a lot of things, which I'm not even able to summarize. But he is kind of a philosopher, philanthropist, angel investor. Um, I think he has invested in numerous startups that have become unicorns. Uber, Twitter, Postmates, like so many. Uh, that's just a couple I can think of. Yeah, he he has invested in a lot of different ones, but very selectively, right? He's not kind of the oh yeah, no, no, like kind of fairly yeah. fairly selectively. Also, I think he has like something to do with the crypto space. Right, he's very well read and he's very good at precisely talking about fairly complicated uh, things. Agree. Which which covers a quote that we wanted to discuss, and that's going to be more a, I think, philosophical, but also of course practical thing as far as we can go. But I think he he published a quote uh, saying, "Find three hobbies: one that makes you money, one that keeps you fit, respectively healthy, and one that makes you smarter, respectively more creative." What do you think about it? Yeah, great quote. 
it's definitely my list of quotes <laughs> that that I think about. And yeah, why, why don't we all like uh, like the two of us like share some <laughs> some thoughts of that? Um, I think my hobby that makes me money is my startup, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully, and I think that's. I don't know what percentage of my time, but a very significant percentage of my time, specifically if you deduct sleep. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I don't have any other really like hobby. Uh, I try to, at least if I have a little bit of money left, I I try to invest it, uh, usually just in ETFs. And then once I have a bit more money uh, on the side, we'll start startup investing as well. Mm-hmm. But you just need significant uh, amounts for that. But yeah, uh, startups basically is my hobby that will make me money. And I, I don't have too many other hobbies <laughs> on that end. Do you have anything that makes you money other than uh, working? No, actually not. And it's also kind of building up uh, as a startup. I'm part of a team, of course, but... Mm-hmm. We're building up a new product line, which potentially should make more money and uh, should should build up hopefully the ecosystem of the company further. So I think that's exactly it's it's in very practical terms it's the same thing. Um, and, and but course, do you, what do you consider as a, a hobby? Like, do you really like it? Would you do it if you like wouldn't be paid that much? Or like, how do you think? Yeah, about absolutely. That? I mean, it's it's a I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take the choice to work there if it wouldn't be fun. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's a clear decision. Of, of what I wanted to learn and also how that's going to help me build another company in the future again. Um, mm-hmm. And I think from my kind of first founder experience, there were a couple of things that I wanted to kind of gather in the fastest time possible. So I think mm. the hobby was still converted yeah. into a job. And of course, it's a paid job, but I, I, the underlying foundation of it that I'm, I'm learning a lot, that I'm kind of looking at different topics similar to what a founder does, I think that's. Uh, that hasn't gone away and that's this, this foundation is still the same of course I've also thought about hobbies where that where you could actually earn money on, on an additional pathway besides mm-hmm. investing yeah um, and of course I had the podcast before which could potentially make make money with the advertisement uh, back then but I think a hobby where you really put a lot of effort into where you actually make money that's a different kind of approach than just having a, a side podcast thing that potentially earns you some money yeah, I mean, it's great once you have something like podcasting or writing or whatever it is that you do on the side that, that makes you some money. I mean, there are actually a lot of full-time content producers that have started like that, right? Sure. Um, Not necessarily our path because I'm <laughs> I'm more bullish on our startups than on our content. Agreed, agreed. But yeah, I think money is <laughs> money is fairly straightforward for us. But let's let's talk about the way more important stuff, like what keeps you fit and healthy. Very Do you have habits question. for that? Think, hobbies? Yeah, uh, I think one is sleep, um, and I think we have a very, uh, very, very. So uh, you you say that your your like one of your three hobbies is sleeping. <laughs> You're such an interesting person. <laughs> Probably it is actually. I think the let's skip the the fit part, but the healthy part. Um, I, I think a major <laughs> major element of being healthy is sleeping enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that lays the foundation um, and also and I'm recognizing it now right I mean we are in a war- warm room I think sleeping in a cold room is even more important <laughs> um, so yeah. I think sleeping is kind of one part but of course I have other routines like I try to do sports every morning which what kind of sports are you doing now I mean at the moment in times of corona it's mostly freeletics high intensity workouts mm-hmm. running um, okay those kind of things how, how do you like freeletics I like it actually. It's it's so it's it's suffering. Can you do the the Zeus workout? 
the Zeus worker. Yeah. Zeus. Oh, actually no, I can't. Probably okay. not. That's on my that's on my uh, roadmap. But uh, no, actually, I think free freeletics is. I'm I'm enjoying. I I was I was going to the gym a lot back then, but I think I've kind of left it because I. I Will you go back after Corona? Probably not. No. Interesting. Because I like the. I one of one of a good friend of mine is um, a, a YouTuber, a Moving Monkey. He talks like he's actually a studied. Um, a study uh, studied um, physiologist, so he mm -hmm. not, like he learned a lot about the body and how the body works, and uh, he he kind of brought me to the aspect of I want to keep my body flexible and not just do static movements and go more into dynamic movements, which freeletics actually can provide you with that. So he's he's very bullish on those kind of topics. So that's kind of where I picked it up to go into more into. Um, body workout and body workouts in general okay i mean you can do a lot of cool stuff with body workouts okay. i i agree and that's What's what i'm i mean right now it's also body workouts <laughs> and and i've recently started running again to improve my cardio and we we actually like in at our startup a lot of us are on strava where we track our workouts mm -hmm. or our running workouts at least And, and Mike is a big guy, you have to remember. I'm, I'm a fairly big guy, yeah. Like, I'm not a runner, not at all. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, usually I, I love going to the gym. I really, really enjoy it. I'm not the, the typical kind of uh, gym person. I do a lot of athletic workouts, like Olympic weightlifting, um, kettlebells, but also the, like, the classics. I love my bench press. I love my squat. I really like my True. deadlifts. True. So I'm really looking forward to going back, getting some strength, uh, some strength back. So I think the gym is definitely up there. How and do you then, track your workouts? So I tried a lot of different things. And you, right now I'm just writing them down in a notes app. And then I convert them in into a file that I can analyze with, with Python. And then I just do some bar charts and some other charts to see like how I develop. Nice. But... Yeah, so currently, like, since Corona, I didn't go to a gym. We'll go back at some point. And then, like, one thing that I do, sadly, not that often is playing handball. I did that when I grew up. Mm. I Every time I, I play, I'm super happy. So I, I try to do that from time to time. But, yeah, gym, gym is keeping me fit and healthy. And then sleep. Yeah, I, I all, One of my hobbies is sleep, quote uh, Max Elster. <laughs> and... Yeah, I, I think. What should I say? It's for yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's, it's 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 fine. It's a hobby that is so important, um, mm -hmm. and I, I I really feel the right. I mean, looking at kind of the, the quote again, find a hobby that makes you money, and of course you want to find a hobby that makes you more money. It's like on an iterative process. You want you, you don't want to. I think there's a lot of potential stop point if you're ambitious. Mm. The same happens with with kind of being fit and healthy, where you want to see constant improvement, and I think. Um, Sleep can can actually improve lots of areas that fall along. Oh, definitely, so definitely. Workout, uh, eating routines, whatever it is. If you don't recover well in your yeah. sleep, your workouts will suffer a lot. Agree. Are you actually vegan or no? No, no, no. no I'm not vegan. Yeah. Not at all. Interesting. Because have you did you watch the the, the Netflix um, series uh, Game Changer? No. You should. No, probably not. Does it make me vegan? I wouldn't say it makes you vegan, but I, what I liked about it is different top performers of this world were being interviewed, whether it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, Usain Bolt, um, from many different areas of, of top competition. Um, and they have all reported to kind of be vegan and they did very um, 
research oriented like analysis where they understood how, how your how your blood looks like when you eat meat or fish or your completely yeah I, I don't believe it I want to see the studies I, I think that's selection bias but maybe I'm just myself biased because I like meat yeah I, 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 I'm also very skeptical and I'm not vegan but I found it very interesting to understand what the impact would be on a vegan diet or versus a meat-based diet. I think one of the biggest problems with being vegan. I mean, let's go in there. It's probably one of the like less like least debated topics ever, right? Talking about veganism is probably super cool for our podcast. So yeah, veganism uh, 101. Uh, next, we should talk about politics and uh, no. I think veganism. I think it it is. I, I like the thought of it, and I think I can totally see why people would do it either. For health reasons, because mm. I think being vegan actively forces you to eat healthy. Because, yes, like, usually when you're vegan, you also avoid processed foods, which is one of the worst things you can eat, mm. uh, according to, like, it's an overgeneralization, but basically, eating unprocessed foods uh, is usually better than processed foods. So, being vegan usually comes with being more mindful about That's your true. diet, which means that you usually eat healthier than people who are not, like, just. Ceteris paribus. So that's part one. Part two, I also understand the philosophy of decreasing animal suffering. Mm. I, I totally uh, see how, how people uh, like can, can get behind that. Uh, like there's some counter examples, like many, many vegans, for example, if you give them the choice where they say, where you say, okay, you have chicken in your garden. Mm -hmm. You don't eat the chicken. The chicken just lay their eggs. They have the happiest sure. life ever. Sure. And you just eat the eggs. Like, would you be allowed to do that? And many say no, which I don't really understand if the chicken have the best life ever. <laughs> But yeah, I think veganism is also something that could be fairly interesting from a climate change perspective, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, because especially beef is fairly bad for the environment in that context. So I think there's a lot of positives about it. On the other hand, it's also a lot of work. It's so much work to, to eat vegan. And then also, I really like meat. I totally agree. And, and the same thing on my side, right? It's just a topic that um, I, if we could do like a, a proper analysis or invite a guest and how that kind of impacts productivity, I think that would be an interesting topic to talk about kind of in the future. But let's move on. Um, yeah, what, to smarter and creative. How, how do you assess that? How, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I think to like one of my hobbies that makes me smarter is just reading. No, I mean, I like to sleep, read, and work. <laughs> no, I think reading reading is definitely one of them. Then quote Mike, by the way. Huh? Quote Mike. Yeah, quote Mike. That's set in And then I, I write. And writing is a really good process to actually improve your thinking. Mm. Because if you write things down, then you really need to think them through. And sometimes if you just think about topics in your head, you think you understand them. But then when you actually have to bring them to paper and write them in a way that other people would need to understand that's really really helpful and i think it makes me a better thinker and also more creative and then lastly i think the podcast is actually a hobby that makes me smarter or more creative and i would actually count it as one because i think we talked about that before i look at things that i read or notice a bit differently just because i always think about okay what's the interesting angle here like what can i learn from it i did that before But now I do it in a way that I actually try to frame it so that it can be understood by other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's definitely uh, something. So I, I think writing, reading, and podcasting are my hobbies that make me smarter and creative. I think on that front, it's, uh, it's very good. I agree. I, I think we have very similar hobbies there. And I would also say 
I would add one point to what you said about writing and how that also um, helps you to kind of structure your thoughts a little bit more. And I think what the podcast does is quite quite similar. What we do here in a conversation is we try to have certain thoughts and we put them into structure and we deconstruct them again and we try to structure them again. And it's a constant iteration between kind of using a using a question and deconstructing it and then structuring it again and then kind of going back and forth. And that's I think one part of, of podcasting that, that is really, really interesting where you can see a lot of parallels to writing stuff down because what we do here is kind of of course using our language to express thoughts and, and structure um, and, and talk about topics and but these are something very very similar in writing text. I would I would agree one point here is that I would add one point which is one thing that really makes me smarter and more creative is talking to other people and I think that's the kind of most underrated thing uh, element I believe because if if you talk to the right people that are believable that are that have a certain um, topic expertise, then I think you can learn way faster than reading a book. Um, if you talk to a product manager that has been doing product management for 15 years, and he or she summarize, summarize the thoughts in, in a short presentation or in a short conversation, then I think you will get, in, in respect of time, you will get more value out of it compared to kind of reading a whole book. And I think leading those conversations and finding experts in certain areas that's kind of the boost of, of certain certain topics and being more creative and, and more smart and i think that's also where a lot lots of the inspiration comes from for why we started this podcast why we believe that we can actually um, talk about these topics because we have of course talked to hundreds and a lot of other people that have kind of gathered their thoughts and, and brought them to paper so that's i think one thing that i would add yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense well, so apparently we have some hobbies, not the most creative hobbies ever, but I think sometimes it's just uh, using what works and what's fun. And by the way, I think like one last hobby that I think definitely makes me more creative from time to time is gaming. I think mm. gaming is really, really good at teaching you a couple of things that are not easily taught in the real world. Mm. And I think I learned a lot through through gaming, especially when I when I did more of it while I while I grew up. So I think gaming can definitely give you very good skills or thought processes that you wouldn't have otherwise. What do you say about competition in general? Because I think gaming is some sort of competition and whether you do that in a real sport or in a gaming environment, it's quite similar to if you, if you I think if you've went through years and years of competition, you will probably use the same principles for work, for how to be, how to make more money, how to how to win more friends all these things are potentially related to setting goals and actually also understanding um, what you want to achieve um, and I think competition in general helps to frame that for each kind of use case yeah I think competition is one part of it but also two other parts part one you have a very good feedback cycle in gaming you can mm. immediately see whether you've learned something or not no, and you don't have a high downside if you fail so it teaches you if, you, if you do it correctly, it teaches you to learn new skills mm -hmm. because the, the skill progression can basically be simulated way easier than if you learn a physical skill. So, for example, yes. if you learn surfing, mm -hmm. um, then like it's very physically exhausting and like might look 
super uncool when you do it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So there's so many adverse effects. But if you just like can't do a level or a specific trick in a game, yeah. and then you practice it and then it doesn't work, then the game gives you the feedback. Maybe you die or you lose points or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you do it again and again. And at some point it works. And then you've made it. And I think that's a really cool thing, the feedback cycle in gaming. And then also, mm -hmm. it, I think it, it teaches you creative problem solving and also reacting quickly. Because especially, it depends on the game you play. But um, I know a lot of very, very smart people who've played very specific games, either competitively or on a very high level. Mm -hmm. And StarCraft, for example, is my, my favorite example for mm -hmm. that. Almost everyone I know who has played StarCraft on a high level is really smart mm -hmm. and has a very high like has a, has a very high probability of being a good problem solver and i think there are just some games that are so complex that if you understand them on a really deep and high level it just means that you've committed yourself to it and that you have a, like a base iq that uh, otherwise wouldn't work would you would you rather hire a professional gamer or a professional sports guy without knowing anything else Without knowing anything. Uh, that's really difficult because it really depends on the sport uh, and on the game, I think. Let's say a professional handball player. Handball player or a StarCraft player? Yeah. Definitely StarCraft. I mean, I love handball, but I just think that if you if you were a professional StarCraft player, then the fit at our company is probably better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I like if, if, that was, if that was the comparison without anything else, I would definitely hire the StarCraft player. Interesting. Yeah. I would love to kind of do an analysis of kind of how that would affect their productivity i think and yeah good question yeah one thing one thing that's cool about professional gamers is they are used to grinding like 12 hours a day and just yeah. sitting in front of their like laptops which yeah. is what they would do in the startup okay, as well so just just a bit different it's very similar and yeah, i think the the iterative process is way way better in in a gaming environment than it is in a real sports environment because you you learn as we mentioned right the feedback process is quicker mm. but you also have the i think practicing in gaming means something else than practicing in a sports like let's say surfing mm -hmm. how, how you practice is more you, you go at the beach and you, you have a surfboard and you try to kind of understand how the dynamics work of being on a surfboard how the wave is going to impact your your kind of flow on, on the board itself And it's more a very static training methodology because you know, cannot go in the water and practice being on the board. It's just not possible. Mm. Where in, in gaming, you can actually practice in a very, very quick environment, in a very quick feedback cycle, as you mentioned. And you have a way faster, I think, iterative process of getting better at the game when you compare it to let's yeah. say, surfing, training, or being good at football or whatever it is. It takes much longer to reach a certain level. Yeah. I, I, by the way, like I, I still think that having been a pro athlete teaches you a lot of things. Mm. So I don't want to take anything away from that. And I, I, I still like people who have been pro athletes or semi-pro athletes mm. or like really good at sports. Uh, so just in that specific example, I would probably take the StarCraft player. I, I think I actually, uh, like when, when we take guests on the podcast at some point, I know some folks like either X athletes or ex-pro players mm -hmm. who would be great people that we could interview here i have already a couple in mind mm -hmm. uh, that could teach us a lot about how what they've learned through that yeah good idea let's do it um okay fantastic in the interest of time uh why don't we switch to the book of the week mm -hmm. and then let's see where we are afterwards Okay, you. Uh, I would say you start with the book of the week. Okay, so I have a, a pretty cool book that's a bit different than the books we usually suggest. It's called 
Universal Principles of Design. And the, the title continues with 125 ways to enhance usability, influence perception, increase appeal, and make better decisions. So basically what it is, it's just a, a book with lots of design principles that if you're not a designer or you've never like read about it, you just didn't know. But it, once you start thinking about them and try to see them in the world, you see the patterns over and over. Mm. And I think design is something that's totally undervalued yeah. still. Agree. And you can learn so much. from. It. And design is not only like the colors on the website. Design is so much more. That the way you, uh, the way your chair is formed, the way um, a machine works, all of that is also design. So design is a, is way broader than most people think of it. Yeah. It's it's not only like creating posters or whatever. <laughs> so you can learn a lot from these principles since many of them are tested and have been tested for a very very long time. So I think understanding design better is something that every person in a startup or everyone who is looking for better mental models to understand the world mm -hmm. should take a look at it. and this is basically a compendium of a lot of different ones and it's not the easiest read so it's a bit dry from time to time but you just learn a lot i found it interesting what you just mentioned about design that it's much broader there's a great um interview with the logitech ceo hmm. bracken daryl um who has when he, when he joined the company, he said he wants to move away from, I think it was back then, a hardware company to a design company. So mm -hmm. that was kind of his focus because he, he loved how startups think and he kind of brought the, the spirit at least to the company. And what he tried to do is to manifest a company of design and everything is based on that principle, how the teams are being created. It's a very design thing, a very design oriented approach. To, um, to build a company that is always focused on the design and the outcome should be that the products that they're going to build and publish also all um, very much focus on a design principle and the design first is kind of the idea that they kind of push forward hmm. and everything that works around it is based on, on the design of, of the final product that they publish and I found it very interesting that these companies use the principles of design which back then was potentially more um, a thing of how, how things look like or how software looks like and they enhance the idea of it to even organizational principles, organizational design, all these things are put into relation to the topic of design, which is something that I haven't seen before. Yeah. So one suggestion, why don't we take a couple of design principles, talk about it in one of the next episodes. I think sure. there's some really cool things. Yeah. We, we, will, we, we won't go too deep, but a couple of the basic principles, I think like when I learned about them the first time, which wasn't long ago, like a year ago or so, mm -hmm. I, it really changed the way I, I see a couple of things. So let's definitely do that. I'll, sure. I'll write it down and make sure that we do it in one of the next episodes. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Should I mention a, a tool, of, tool of the day? Yeah, go ahead. What's your tool? Um, Actually, it's probably a very famous tool that everybody knows, but I would recommend that everybody should check out the new beta version. And I'm not—I don't have any shares or <laughs> anything. Um, Evernote actually—they have a new CEO and they try to reconfigure their app and how they kind of approach note-taking. And they released a kind of preview of how the new version looks like, and you could be an active user. Um, and since a lot of people are potentially using Evernote or have been fans and then potentially left again, it might be a good idea to kind of rewind it and see it again and just 
understand how they also try to get the users uh, and the user interviews and the user feedback to build a product that actually fits the user's need in 2020 and it doesn't feel like a 2015 app anymore. So mm-hmm. I think I would definitely recommend to check it out. I think that you can just look for Evernote Preview or Evernote Better App and then you will see uh, a link to, to get it. So it's, it's a very cool, cool new approach at least to, to how the app works. Okay, like I have been using Evernote for quite some time mm. and I'm, I'm actually currently considering switching over to Notion because Evernote is really annoying me yeah. and it's a bit buggy for me. So I'm really, yeah, I'll try the, I'll try the better version if it's, if it's better. I'm really excited because I have been a big Evernote fan for a very long time mm. and it was actually very sad. It was very sad to me to see like what happened with them mm. and that they lost their touch. And probably, like, I mean, the founder left in 2015, right? And was replaced by uh, by a CEO, like an external or internal, I don't even know. But not, not a founder CEO anymore. That might have to do with it. Agreed. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, like, excited to see whether they can turn it around or whether I'll, I'll, I'll switch, switch to Notion. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a chance just because I'm, yeah, I, I've, they've done a lot for me in the past. Let's put it <laughs> like that. Um, like I still have way too many notes on Evernote. I don't know. It's true. The same here. How are you structuring your Evernote? Do you have a specific structure? Yeah, I do actually have it. Um, I have kind of different different folders. So I think they are, they call it folders, right? Note notebooks, notebooks. That's all they call. Yeah, no. You have notebook stacks, and then you have notebooks, and then you have notes. Yeah, notebooks. Stay right, right. Yeah, I actually have several notebooks. Um, one is called Learnings, which is kind of all about different learning topics. Whether it's a business-related topic, design-related topic, uh, health-related, finance, mm-hmm. marketing, whatever it is, so it's very health, uh, learnings-oriented. Then I have one about the the whole version of personal brand, writing a book, um, delivering content, uh, podcast episodes, all these things. Then I have a private folder where I kind of document all my meetings. So if you mm-hmm. recall, I have a specific notebook with different notes in it where I kind of document all the different meetings that I have. How many how many notes do you have in Evernote? That sounds like a lot if you document every meeting. Um good question actually. I don't know. You can look it up if you go in Evernote and click on all notes. Actually not that much. It's three hundred thirty one. Okay. I thought it would be more. No, it's 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 actually I actually recently started with documenting my meetings. Ah okay. It's such a smart idea. Yeah. It's, I think it's a good idea to start a startup and a, a couple of friends of us, they looked into the space a little bit and I think a personal CIM will definitely be on the market quite soon. Let's see what's going to be. There have been a couple, but no one made it. But I'm still, yeah, I think there's nothing I'm more hyped about, at least like just in a like personal sense. Mm than a personal CRM. Personal CRM. Yeah. <laughs> if someone can build that, I'll be very, very, very happy. Agreed. I mean, there's some like higher level like things I would prefer over a personal CRM, but for me personally, it's, it's, it's it would be so much value. And, and they, they also asked me back then in the user interview kind of what I would pay for it. And I would definitely pay like five to 10 bucks for a good solution that will help you. Yeah, I'd pay even more. I don't care. Give it, give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> if it's really good, I, I'll pay superhuman prices. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, okay. So, when a person listens, you guys know that there's a market. <laughs> yeah. At least for Mike and Max. Yeah. Like, we'll be your alpha users or better users or whatever you want to launch with. <laughs> right, right. No, and then actually, finally, I have kind of a fold around projects and jobs where I kind of document my notes around this podcast and, mm-hmm. and other stuff. So that, that's kind of my structure. Quite simple. Okay. That makes sense. How's yours? Uh, 
So I I have a lot of notebook stacks and then mm. multiple notebooks in there and then subnotes. I, I don't I don't use all of those stacks fairly often, but I, I can just re- read a, a couple. So I have one notebook stack that's about writing mm. uh, nonfiction. One is about writing fiction, and then I have multiple notebooks in there and multiple notes that are related to specific projects. Mm-hmm. Then I have a notebook stack that's about blog and podcast summaries. So when I read or listen to interesting things, mm. I I'm not doing that with every single thing, but uh, I just try to take some notes, most cool. important things. I have a business idea um, notebook from back in the day when I was gathering a lot of different ideas. I also have some like cool things like I have an epiphany notebook where I have different notes that are just like things that I thought of and then found so interesting that I had to put them in there. Mm. And uh, I have an investing uh, notebook stack. I have a mental models notebook stack that's actually fairly packed with lots of different mental models cool. and their explanations. Mm-hmm. One notebook stack for personal development where I have different uh, notebooks in there. Financial, gathering knowledge, networking, productivity, side projects, tech, wealth, well-being. So just like one. Very similar to what I do, right? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, a, a reading. That's probably mm-hmm. one of the ones I use the most where I have my to read lists where I have some book summaries mm. etc and then a couple of other things but one of the most frequent uh, notes I use is I, I use my di- I write my diary in Evernote mm. and every day I have a set of I don't know 15 questions or so that mm. I don't write like a, a dear diary diary but just like a structured set of questions that I answer every single evening and that's my by, by far biggest note but I also switch every couple of months because the performance deteriorates <laughs> once it becomes too long <laughs> and yeah I actually have more notes than you have uh, just saying oh yeah oh. Uh, 562 apparently oh, and now now I have to start uh, documenting my meetings so that I uh, don't lose <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep up I'm gonna I need to have more meetings. Yeah, so yeah, I'll, 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 I'll see you uh, just scheduling more meetings. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think this was a. We are forty-two minutes in, and of course, if you do it in person, uh, it's can even go longer. Um, Anything else from your side? Because I think we've covered a couple of interesting topics. Uh, the only thing is, we should do it in person more often. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a different a different feeling. Very different. Yeah. And even though I like the remote part, because yeah. I think it, it gives a sense of um, that I think you can control the topics more. I think this is more a creative session where we can kind of yeah, it's more spontaneous, a bit more interactive. Absolutely, we laugh a bit more. Right, even though uh, it's warm in here. Uh, yeah, it's very warm. Yeah, but uh, nevertheless, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Uh, okay, so we, we, we gave you the quote early, so we won't close it off with a quote other than uh, My Hobby is Sleeping from Max Elster. <laughs> and yeah, uh, as always, if you enjoyed this, uh, feel free to subscribe on whatever platform you're using. Uh, if you listen to an Apple podcast, give us a good review. That really helps. And tell a friend about it or your grandma or your mom, whoever is listening to podcasts and likes startups. We welcome every listener and we're looking forward to talking to you the next time. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike.